I haven't actually played any winter golf, which is a strange place to start on a winter golf podcast. Um, I have just been to Turkey, though, which was very exciting. Um, my debut uh, on the Antalya Strip. I had a lovely time at a place called Max Royale. Um, and I did play night golf for the first time. Um, I say I played night golf. I played I played about three holes with my seven-year-old. Um, and it sort of didn't really occur to me that we're going to be playing night golf. We, we turned up at the golf club at six o'clock in the evening. And of course, it was dark. Um, and then it was a surprise to me that we were playing under floodlights. It was pretty amazing. Um, did get me thinking that at a time when Northern Europe is worrying about being able to turn the lights on in their houses this winter, that we were playing golf under floodlights. It was sort of slightly troubling. Um, and the whole place has a sort of slightly Russian oligarch kind of biosphere feel to it. Um, we walked through the resort gates um, at five o'clock on a Saturday and we left the resort at five o'clock the following Saturday and not at all in between. So it was a pretty simple holiday. Anyway, 20, 28 degrees under floodlights is quite a stri strange start to a pod about winter golf. Can I ask you a very pressing question though about night golf that's like been on my mind for ages and ages. What are the balls like? Are the balls like lit up? You just play with your golf ball. Right. So it's like it's just like under floodlights, is it? I, I wondered whether you had like flashing a flashing golf ball that helped you find it in the dark. Have you never done it? No. So I mean it's it's one of these things, it's a bit like everything these days. It's better on Instagram than it is in reality. Filtered. <laughs> so it's so there's like just like football stadium type lights I guess or like just big lights and um, that are three or four hundred yards apart in the trees pointing at the fairway so it's not like the whole thing is bathed in light like it's there are like significant shadowy sections and the sort of in the trees it's just dark um there's obviously quite a lot of flies uh it's, it's just, and I don't know if you've like if you've played golf in the dusk but you can't really judge distances can you and like it's a bit weird looking down at your balls so it's a bit like that um, it, it sounds lovely. <laughs> Can't find uh, a ball, fly-ridden, sexy game. Bear in mind, like we were somewhere where it's really hot, so in the evening it was also, it would be like a nice time to play golf in the in the height of summer. Um, I can't possibly moan about night golf, can I? A five-star golf ball. I mean, that really is sort of emotionally to a whole new level. Well, you've come back to cold, blighty, haven't you? So let's moan about that for an hour. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do a pod about winter golf. Um, and I guess this is the sort of perversion that you face with people like me is that I'm playing golf tomorrow um, at Old Woodley uh, and it'll be eight degrees. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because winter golf is good, right? Yes. So I am, uh, I've not played golf for a month for variety of reasons, which is probably like the longest break from hitting a club that I've had in probably about eight years, nine years. Uh, so my, I make my glorious return tomorrow in our first winter competition. I'm very excited about it because, because short course is in operation. Short, a short hitter, Tom, loves a short course. And at 5,500 yards or whatever our winter course is, um, I am very much looking forward to not to having lost a thousand yards on the last time I played. I know temperature and everything and ball doesn't go as far and stuff like that, but 
my best golf in the last few years has tended to come went from like November to April. One, because there's no handicap on the line. And two, because I don't have to hit the ball out of my socks. So, you, so you're at Strensel, aren't you, these days, which is the York Golf Club? Thank you for referring to it by its official title. And uh, what, um, what, what is, how does that play in the winter? Like, what's it like underfoot? Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's good, actually. They've, they've, they've done um, a lot of work down the years on drainage. And we play off mats. Um, so uh, winter mats came into operation last week. I, 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 I previously, uh, at, the, at the club I'd been at for like nearly 20 years, had never played off mats. So I had a very entrenched position in my head about, you know, mats are stupid, should play off the turf, whatever, this is a game, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I played off winter mats, um, so we carry around basically a, a little portable mat. We don't have mats on the on the fairway like some clubs do, don't they? Like 150 yards or whatever, you'll go and hit it off a mat. We carry a portable mat. We put it down. If you're on the fairway, use a mat, or obviously, or obviously you push it into the rough and then play from there. I've never played off them before, and I quickly found that um, I actually hit the ball better off mats. I seem to yeah. hit it cleaner. It seems to go a bit further. So you've got the combination for me, and it's an absolutely alluring one, Tom, of a shorter course and better contact. I mean, like, what's not to love? Yeah, yeah. And when you when you talk about the winter course at um, Strensel, so what is that like? As in, how is that defined? Is it just very forward yellow tees, or is that specific uh, winter tee spots? We got some specific winter tee spots. It's rated. It's actually rated, oh, okay. yeah, it's rated under WHS, so we could do, don't call them qualifiers anymore, we could, do, we could put in general player scores or competition scores, should we wish. Um, so, I mean, the, the tees are, some of them are some of them are pretty forward compared to normal. I mean, like the 14th, if anyone knows, Strenchel, not many people will hear. I mean, it's like 60, 70 yards forward. Uh, it, it makes the hole completely different, but but it is rated. It's not, um, you know, it's not someone just, putting down a couple of tea pegs here and saying off you go it there's there's been a, quite a lot of thought put into it pretty amazing i mean that is good isn't it um so we uh old woodley like it's a uh, massive privilege is a proper heathland it's it's sun based it's a great winter course it's it's a bit of a problem because uh it's high up relatively high up so it's on wigton moor in north leeds um so when it's open it's mint it's just that if it snows it tends to be snowy for quite a long time which is a bit of a frustration um i've really, <laughs> really got to change my shtick haven't i it's big it's a big problem being a member of woodley steve it's closed when it snows it's terrible then what i'm going to do about it um all golf courses seem to be closed now when it snows it's but not like it used to be in good old days yeah but when but winter golf um is particularly you remember at um seating for a bit weren't you sorry at cleveland for a bit yeah um and i think like we we obviously all go out to ganton a couple of times through the winter which we I mean we can have a discussion about what we think the best winter course is in a minute um but i think if you get to the if you get the right sort of golf course in the winter it's almost the best form of golf like i would i much prefer or woodley in the winter we play off we don't have official winter tees we just put the yellow markers right at the front of the yellow tees so it's not much over 6,000 yards. Um, like I say, it's dry. Um, so the ball's, you still, the ball's still rolling out the majority of the time. Um, 
the heather dies back, they cut the rough back, they have like a, they have a sort of a specific winter preparation where they hack away all the long rough before winter starts. Um, we have a greens maintenance week in um, late August, so the greens are basically as good now as they are any other time of year. Um, and they've they've had a sort of long term strategy that uh, they want the golf course to be as good as possible year round for members. They're not trying to make it peak for one week in July, and that's sort of really paying off. Um, so you round in three hours. There's no none of the sort of pomp and ceremony of the sort. No one's trying to um, grind out a score in a medal. It's all just golf for the sake of it. Um, and it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, go on. Do you know the best thing that we do uh, at Winter Rules, at Winter Golf? It, obviously, they, they probably don't do this at all, Woodley. I'd be interested to see if other courses do it. So I'm like really time restricted um, on the morning. I really can't play golf like early morning, like a lot of people do, because Obviously, I've got a, a a young child, and you know my wife goes running on a Saturday morning, um. So I so we like swap. At at, at Strenny, they do shotgun starts and uh, for morning and afternoon tea times. So you can on a winter competition, you can have a shotgun start at eight. You can have another shotgun start at twelve, so everyone can get round. Which I just think is I mean I've never experienced that before before last year, and I just think it's such a phenomenal thing. I just wanted to get that in because um, <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good thing because it, it it means that like there's a really decent chance, isn't it, that quite a lot of your members can get round? Because that is the worst thing about winter golf. The worst thing about winter golf is it's just not enough time. You know, yeah. you, it comes up like sun comes up at eight and goes down at four, and it's really really limited, isn't it? So and and, and I know that. Uh, a, I know that like during COVID, for example, when everyone came back um, out of golf and everyone wanted to play, that was a real problem, wasn't it? Getting in towards winter, like, Jesus, how do we get everyone round? And I thought that was a really, really good idea. And I wanted to put it out there just, just for listeners to hear about that, because that's something that perhaps they can take to their own clubs if they're struggling to get people on. Yeah, that's, that is really good, isn't it? Really good idea. But I think that sort of short, that short amount of time and short courses, like, like what's what's the worst thing about winter golf? Well, it's the weather. Um, no one likes playing golf in minus four when it's siding down sideways rain. Um, but the benefit if you get a nice day, then the short course and the lack of rough, and as you've just explained, like the um, playing more quickly um, suits everybody. Um, and I just don't I don't understand how we don't take that sort of learning and say, well, actually, why are we making golf courses longer? Why are we making golf courses harder? Nobody enjoys it. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief when we get to the winter. We can get around quicker. We can make flattering scores. And what do you know, everyone's a lot happier. Um, so, yeah, it's a big thing for me. And I think, um, like, good kit makes a difference, right? Like, sort of talking about the olden days of battling around in the snow. Um, sort of also the olden days battling around in some sort of sweaty plastic waterproofs right and that all that all that's gone hasn't it yeah yeah definitely um i've got all new kit for tomorrow which is very exciting another exciting reason to get out some brand new winter kit and it is it is so much better um i remember that um uh a pal of our mutual pal of ours jim croxton who's obviously the ceo for bigger said that gore-tex changed golf forever um, and I think he's absolutely right. I think he's absolutely right. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to give her our ages, but we've been on the, we've been circling the, uh, we've been orbiting the sun for a while, a pair of us. And um, you can remember plastic waterproofs. 
like yeah, yeah. In, in the late 80s and you know they would like if you if you were they never stopped you getting soaked they had to, because they had like a rain threshold basically if it rained too much it just went through anyway if it didn't rain they were so basically they were so awful that they would just stick to you like any warmth in your body would just stick to you I mean, like rubber golf shoes but do you remember them yeah yeah like horrendous and like, I'm, I'm not surprised like our golfing ancestors basically just put their clubs in the garage in october and said see you in april chaps i mean i'm not i'm not surprised that is just completely changed now i mean my only bugbear with 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 the clothing is i still don't think they've got gloves quite right yet i still i've never found a pair of gloves that have managed to keep my hands warm in winter but everything else you're stuck as a bug in a rug aren't you like gore-tex hats Honestly, like, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible. Are you, I want to ask you this, though, because I, I know you, before you get into kit, your, your kit favourites, are you, are you a lot of layers or bulking up? Um, I'm, the, lots, I'm, I'm lots of thin layers. Well, yeah, everybody is. I mean, this is the, it's like, it is like middle-aged man's manner from heaven, right? So there is a, re- there's a reason that uh, middle-aged men are so into cycling and it's gear. So, you get to buy aerodynamic this and ergonomically designed the other. And I'm saying that winter golf kit is like that on another level. So you've got all of the usual golf nerdery, but then plus you've got layering technology and you've got mittens and hand warmers and bobble hats and all the rest of it. Um, and it, there's, there's just nothing better, is there, than a crisp summer's morning and you've got all of your stuff laid out on your bed and you're painstakingly pulling on your fit for purpose foot joy socks and your galvin base layer and your uh under armor outer trouser and all the rest of it and it's just it's like absolute yeah middle-aged man manner from heaven because it's just so much kit and then of course by the third you're far too hot so you sort of start to take it all off yeah if it's if you always take it off you can't put it on nice bit of product placement there tom as well i should say other brands are available i'm not sure I'm not sure I actually do own any of those things either, but you, you sort of take the point. Um, and yeah, I think uh, that is a significant change, but it's not just clothes, it's everything, isn't it? Like um, footwear is a massive thing. Like I've got some uh, uh, foot joys with like proper um, cleats in for winter. Um, uh, the golf club grips, wet weather gloves, snoods, like how good are snoods? I mean, where is, it's, where is my snood? That's going to be the prevailing question on my mind for the rest of the day now. Tom. They're just they, they, the acceptable face of balaclavas, aren't they? They, they keep the bit warm that you want to keep warm. Amazing thing, snoods. Do, um, do, do you remember when we tried to pass them off as masks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's also the, um, the you sort of reminded me of something by mentioning Jim Croxton's name um like golf courses are better drainage is better golf courses are prepared better for winter yeah no absolutely and and we should um being serious for a moment um thank our green keeping teams tremendously for that because I can't imagine the pressure that is in trying to put together a course that we can all play in conditions that frankly are really challenging for golf I mean we're really you know, it's not ideal, is it? Tramping no, around in tramping around so, in December on wet grass. It's no, to even get a course playable is an incredible achievement. Yeah, and let's be straight about it. There are places that you would rather play in winter and places that you would um let's say um you wouldn't avoid them, but you would 
perhaps um, you, there are certain places you'd rather pay ahead of others. What do you reckon the best winter course is in your experience? Uh, anything that's links generally like links golf is best. I mean, you talked about Cleveland, you know, earlier on and Cleveland's a really good example of this because I've, I've like woken up in the morning at seven o'clock, seen a Facebook post from Cleveland with them basically like under snow. And then by half past 10, it's completely cleared and you can get out there because that's the that's the vagaries of the coast. Right. Whereas if that was inland, it's it's there for days. You know, it's not shifting unless it significantly warms up. And the turf on Lynx golf, I mean, it's like it wasn't it, it feels like it wasn't made for anything else. But golf can't grill things there. can't like can't put crops on there. Um, but it's, it, it seems absolutely perfect for golf in all conditions. It's just links like Cleveland's the best one I've played, but only because that's local to me. So it's within like 50 miles of my house, as it were. It's a short drive. Um, I imagine listeners will have like huge ex- loads of examples of like amazing links courses that are just tremendous in the winter. Yeah, I mean, you, you can do like a decision tree on this, I, I reckon. So yeah, links golf right enough so that to sort of eradicate anything in the middle of the country. East coast is definitely drier than the west coast. It's another thing. Um, uh, so I think that I'm my my search for uh, the best um, winter golf course would definitely be down the eastern side of this country. Um, it's I'm interesting. Link, I mean, it's I'm interesting that Ganton, for example, you brought up earlier. Ganton's a place that I mean I love Ganton I think it's a fantastic golf course um but it's a place I think I enjoy more in winter than I do in summer oh it's way better golf course in the winter they've got a particular sort of um agronomic thing going on with their greens where uh, they really struggle with too much co- grass coverage in the winter in the summer um, and in the winter when it dies back the finer grasses get to flourish and the surfaces are just pure way better it's an amazing place to play golf in winter. One of these things where you come off and there's just like no mud on your shoes at all, yeah. like just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, Ganton's up there. Um, I'm a Lincolnshire lad and I always bang the drum for Seacroft, which is uh, Skegness. Um, it's in the posh end of Skegness. It's, that does exist. Um, but that, I mean, that for many years, me and Dan used to go back and play in their winter pairs open. Which was basically sold out the minute it um, it went on sale um, for a reason. It's like just quality. It's like six thousand four hundred yards. Like just it's the driest bit of the country basically from a rainfall point of view. Um, and the golfer is just as good in winter as it is in the summer. Um, I went to used to go to Hunstanton every year. We used to uh, do a trip that was Hunstanton and Brancaster on back to back days at the, at the start of December. Um, and we used to play 36 holes um, at Constanton um, on about the 5th or 6th of December every year, which you can just about do. If you tee off as the sun is coming up, you've got time for lunch and they've got some landing lights from the old um, RAF uh, planes at Constanton, which sort of a couple of them light, light you in as you finish at kind of half past three in the dark. So you can play 36 holes there at the start of December and um, we played as a two, obviously, and it was that was just an absolutely amazing privilege because very, very few people there. Golf course is phenomenal in the winter. Um, the only problem is it's then half past three and you're in on day one of a golf trip. So there's an awful lot of drinking time. Uh, and the, the local beer there is Adnams and it's 
uh, it's that stuff that doesn't have a head on it because the taps have got no sparkler, so it sort of goes down a bit too easy. So we've got ourselves in lots of trouble in the clubhouse at Hunstanton at 3.30 on the first week of December over the years. You, you make a good point, though. I think, like, in the winter, you should get about, should try and get about a bit more. If, you, if you're if you unfortunate enough to be a member at a course that is agronomically challenged when it comes to winter, yeah. you know, the, we see, you know, clay turf, for example, you know, clay soil, it's, pre it's pretty hard, isn't it? There's not much you can do with that, really, in the winter. Um, then you should get out and about a bit more because it's cheaper for a start. Um, I mean, you can get some absolutely amazing winter rates yeah. and you can get out and about and play somewhere different and expand your golfing horizons. I, I, I play more golf away, I think, in the winter than I do at home. Yeah, yeah. So I think my my East Coast bias, I'll be saying uh, Seacroft, Hunstanton, uh, Ganton, they're two or three of my favourites. When I lived in London, we used to, the, the, I was actually looking at this the other day because um, uh, we're doing some comparative green fee stuff for Woodley. When I lived in London, we used to go down to St George's quite often in the winter. It was 99 quid um, and you could play as much as you wanted. Now, obviously, as much as you wanted was not much more than a round in the winter, but you could still go and get 27 holes in at, um, an open venue for under 100 quid. I'm talking about um, sort of 10 years ago, and I think it's now more like 120 quid, but it's like it's still phenomenally good value to go there for a day's golf. Um, the Grove do a really good winter package as well, which is like normally very expensive. I think that was under 100 quid, bacon rolls and stuff thrown in and some soup after. So I think, yeah, the value you can get is like phenomenal, um, really phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, just looking at um, some of the rates. I mean, we talked about Cleveland, and <laughs> it's, just, it's just phenomenally cheap. <laughs> well, county card, county, county card, thirty quid. Wow. Twilight rate, so from one p.m. So you can get around first of November twilight yeah, yeah. one p.m. You can you can run around yeah. there. Twenty nine quid. Yeah. Bonkers. So we're like massive fans, aren't we? Um, it's. It, it, and it, it's one of these things where it's like all about expectation as well, isn't it? Like you've just got much lower expectations. And so you get these, you get a day when it's slightly warmer than you expected and the sun's out and it's blue skies and you feel like you've stolen something from life, don't you? Whereas in the summer, your expectations, you're expecting it to be 30 degrees, you're expecting to play well, you're expecting the course to be perfect and you're more often not disappointed. So I think that that kind of... Um, expectation is so much lower that you you kind of just happy to be out aren't you and it's 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 brilliant um it's absolutely deep. brilliant and we we are privileged in this country where we can play all year round god bless galvin green but the the um like if you think about golf in the states like um snowbirds travel down to florida for a reason there's no there's not much golf playing in new york state at this time of year um so there's not much golf played in Sweden this time of year. There's not much golf played in northern Germany. Like we're 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 privileged in that we can play golf twelve months of the year. Um, yeah, so it's all good. Or we're, so, just, or we're just silly enough to do it. Oh yeah, there's a bit of that as well, isn't there? Um, so the sort of second thing I had down to discuss is kind of just is around um, uh, like what should golf course should golf courses should be doing what do people think about temps what do temporary greens what do think people think about mats um some golf courses closed like what would places be economically better off so 
for all of this like celebration like we love it like there's no escaping the fact that um a lot of golf courses are under snow a lot of golf courses get a lot of rain um, walking onto waterlogged greens damages the green. If you, um, we have trolley bands for a reason. Like, so you, when you your foot, your feet are causing more um, more damage to the course, more wear and tear to the course when it's wet, and also if it's frozen, where you sort of tear the grass. Um, the the less hours means fewer people um, at a golf club during the day. So the golf the clubhouse isn't um, going to take as much money. Um, it is it is the off season. Um, so there's quite a lot, isn't there, in terms of decision making for clubs, like what should they be doing? Should they be trying to make the experience as close to the summer experience as possible to try and get people there? Should they be saying, look, it's the off season, the golf course needs time to recover. So we're going to rope off the greens. We're going to be on temporaries. We're going to use mats. Um, or should they just go nuclear and just close? Like that, We know there are some... Uh, venues uh, in particularly in tourist destinations where like no where there's no member play where they do the shut um, yeah. because that's the right thing to do for them where do you stand on all this that's a, that's a lot to unpack um but you can say so I mean, like, i've got a bit shall I be controversial yes why not um if you go to a golf i, I never understand people who complain about winter golf uh, and and particularly greens uh temporary greens uh, oh, can't go to the golf course because I can't play on the proper greens. <laughs> if you if if you're going to a golf club in December expecting a similar experience that you're going to get in July, then you're a fool, an absolute idiot, because you're just not going to get that. There's you know you're just not going you're just not going to get that. Climate is the thing. So you have to, and I think we do this quite well. And and, and we talked about this in the first bit. You've just got to have dif different expectations of what is achievable. At winter golf and being able to play golf in the winter means making compromises and one of those compromises is sometimes you're going to be off temps when it's a bit too icy i know some clubs are happy to play off greens all year long others aren't can we just accept that the people who aren't they're fairly expert about their turf so they might know what's good for it and what's not so if they decide that we're going to be off temps today because being on it is going to damage the green we just get on with that and just have like one day where you know i mean like it drives me nuts the winter greens debate mats is the same thing and and i and I, we talked about this slightly earlier on i was very anti-mat for years and years primarily because i hadn't experienced mats now i've done mats for a year and realized actually it's it's not a big deal and the difference that i found the, the the turf for the start of the season at York this year in April because we've been off mats for six months was just awesome, it's absolutely awesome. You know, just nary a divot to be found, Tom. Um, and can you imagine if we'd been like chopping around that Heathland turf for six months where nothing's growing, and then come back in April and all we can see around is like driven, driven divot strewn areas, and the turf was magnificent. It was absolutely fantastic, and that kept through the year. It was better through the year because we just employed a bit of common sense, and we said, "Yeah, we all want to play. It's winter. Let's make some compromises." It's the same we're roping off. Just get on with it. I, I I don't bring a trolley around in the winter anyway. I know. Look, I know that I'm. Um, 
privileged in that sense. I'm physically able to walk around a golf course. I don't necessarily need to take a trolley. I know for some people a trolley is a necessity and it would be difficult to play golf without it. So I understand there are there, there are different circumstances here. I put my trolley away last week uh, and I won't have it out again until the season starts because I can carry it around. It's just easier to do it. Little pencil bag, half set, like get on, get off. What I, I don't understand why people find things to moan about, he says, while moaning about it. <laughs> well, you just find people to moan about. Um, what do I think about that? So I, we, we, I have just whacked on about how amazing winter golf is for 34 minutes. Um, but that is through the prism of places where winter golf is possible. Um, we, I don't want to name names, but we work quite close to a hilly Parkland golf course. And I wouldn't want to play there in winter because I'd be worried about falling on my arse going down hills and twisting my ankle in some mud. Um, and and I, I would expect that there that would be um, winter greens a lot and winter greens are no fun. Uh, that said, I played at Little Aston once and they, they did a really cool thing in winter where they had, instead of having holes, they had a, just a massive lump of wood on your winter green. So once your ball hit this effectively like a log with a flag stuck in it, that was you hold out. And that made it a lot more fun. Um, so I think I do have some sympathy with people who've paid a 12-month subscription to a, um, to a golf club. And then in the winter, their experience is compromised. And I think that you're you're the member. It's a lot of these places are members clubs. It's your fixed income that is propping up um, the PL of that golf club. The the visitor gets to cherry pick when they come and play, so they can come on in the on the best days with the best weather and the best club conditions in the summer. But you're the you're the per, you're the lifeblood of the club, and you have to suffer this compromised experience through the winter. Um, you go into that Tom with your eyes open don't you I mean like I mean it's if you're joining a particular club that is challenged in that way surely you know that going in and you accept that for what it is yeah 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 so I guess I'm just sort of trying to think it through um you can sort of see why it gets people's goat but the balance is that those same people who are moaning about the golf course being roped off in winter and being on temporary greens will be exactly the same people who'll be moaning in spring about patches of mud and the greens being bumpy um, not realising that if they'd allowed play off temporary greens and the areas who roped off the golf course would be a lot better when it got to spring. Um, we're, we're inverting the experience though, aren't we? I mean like sport is seasonal and golf has kind of crossed the barriers. I mean like we don't play cricket in the winter do we? We play football in the winter because we played historically. We played cricket in the winter, then we played football. Uh, sorry, cricket in the summer, and we played football and rugby in the winter. And it was the same with golf. We played golf in the summer, but now we can. Technology's meant we can essentially play golf all year round. That's that's the difference, isn't it? We are as we've engineered golf to our own ends. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think I am massively with this idea that like. The, it's all part of the same picture, isn't it? Like winter golf is kind of a different format to summer golf. It is shorter. There is no rough. And part of that is sometimes the experience is going to be compromised because you're out there doing it for the joy of playing. You're not out there to win a pot. You're not out there to get your handicap down. You're just out there to whack a golf ball and chat to your mates and get a bit of exercise. Um, You'll have WHS on to you. 
under caps all year round now, Tom. But good point, yeah. But I think you I think I think you make a good point is that the green keepers are experts and we all want the golf the golf course to be as good as possible as as much of the year as possible and therefore temporary greens, mats where required, roping off areas of the course. Roping off areas of the course I think is almost like a bigger deal than anything else. Like you don't need a mat on a um on a par five T, do you? Um but roping off areas of the course, I think, where there's massive footfall, then, then yeah, I think get on with it. Yeah, I, I um, just, I, I don't understand why you would complain because you have to walk slightly long, longer round to the green because there's a roped off area for a reason because that area will otherwise get completely destroyed. And, yes. and, and grass, I'll say it again, I'm sure I said it earlier, grass doesn't really grow in winter. So if it's damaged in December, it's still damaged in May. Yeah. Um, so what about places that shut all together? What are you saying about that? Well, there's some there's some notable examples, isn't there? Particularly in Scotland, uh, like the, the tourist destinations, don't they? Like Kings Barnes and I, I mean, they can afford it. That's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, most golf clubs can't afford to do that. You've, you can't just you know, unless you're backed by tremendous amounts of money, you can't just say, right, that's it. November, see you in March. Don't know what you're well, going to do for the next six months. Hang on a minute. They're not they're not closing in the winter because they can afford to do it. They're closing well, the winter. Well, they can afford to do it, but but they are they are doing it because the conditions are such that it would be well, not doing it because it's economically better for them to close in the winter. That's why. So they're saying that if we want to have full green keeping teams, if we want to have full F and B staff, if we want to have the clubhouse lights on, the clubhouse heating on, um, then we need X amount of income to break even during the winter. We can't do it, so we're going to shut. You also get the added marketing benefits of we're closing in three weeks. Better get in here now while you still can. Ching ching. I think um, I, I, there are there there. I mean, there are days when. You go up to um, my golf club or any golf club and there'll be the steward there or and maybe someone in the kitchen and the clubhouse heating will be on, the clubhouse lights will be on, they'll be being paid, the pro will be in the pro shop. Yeah. Uh, the people will have been out and cut the greens or rake the bunkers or whatever and there's no, no one there. No, but I'd argue with, I'd, I'd, on counterpoint, I'd also argue with winter golf that no, there's not really many courses that don't get away with being shut for a while anyway because of conditions, do they? So, um, I say get any money that you can. For certain clubs, though, I think it's the right sort of decision. And it sounds nuclear, doesn't it? But I'm not really sure that it is. Um, and I think that, like, let's, let's, let's say that at a private members club, if the golf course closed for January, so we've, got our, we've done our turkey trots, We've done our Boxing Day comp, whatever else, and then the golf course is saying we're going to shut in January. Then, a the golf course gets a rest. How many rounds are actually lost during that period? Like not many. How many would be shut anyway because of weather? It's just quite clarifying for everybody that we're, we're closed. So that's the, the end of that. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna quote someone from a podcast that we did last year. So feel free is to. It, me? it wasn't you actually. It was. Um, it was a golf consultant who is espousing essentially what uh, he was espousing then, essentially what you're arguing, which is... Could is it be, Phil Grice? It is Phil Grice. 
could golf courses close every year? And he was basically saying the restrictions, he was talking specifically about the restrictions from COVID and how they'd, um, how the restrictions had allowed actually tees, fairways and greens to recover from that big boom in 2020. He thought that would lead to um, better conditions. And he said he'd spoken to a number of operators who were saying that they were thinking about not closing all winter long, but closing for like two weeks back in the February, yeah. perhaps two weeks at the start of March or close down for a month, which allows I mean, there are some there are some, he got absolute pelters for this, by the way. I mean, you know, you should have seen the Facebook comments. It was just full of very angry people. Um, but his point was essentially if you have that month or two or three weeks where the golf course is just shut, greenkeepers can get on with doing what they need to do, like essential maintenance. Um, and you can basically put the course in a better place for having no one on it for two or three weeks, which is where I sense where you're kind of going with it, right? I think I just think that a lot of problems occur in life where there's there's um, significant doubt and you kind of um, the month of January, like the golf course is going to be closed for a week because of weather in it just full stop um there's there's so few daylight hours where people can actually play golf um so there's quite a, a lot of fuss like a lot of staff a lot of um but the, the kind of rhythm of golf club life goes on but it's kind of emperor's new clothes because there's nobody there and would it be better for everybody if you just said there is no golf in january we can all go do sales shopping with our partners. We can all see our families a bit more. And then we're all all the more excited for February. And what do you know, the golf course is a slightly better idea. Would golf courses be slightly better off economically? Probably. Um, don't know. Just, I just don't think it's a black and white thing. Um, uh, so anyway, let's leave that before everyone gets too cross. <laughs> I mentioned uh, I mentioned turkey trots there, and I'm sort of quite keen to talk about this. I like a bit of nostalgia. Um, winter competitions, I think, are, are just are brilliant things as well. Um, what do they do? What do they do at um, York at Strenny? All sorts of different things. Um, we have, I think, we do have a turkey trot. I think I think that's what it's called. Um, I used to play at Sandburn. I used to play in a winter league from my previous course. We used to organise it ourselves. That was an absolutely fabulous thing. Um, the old winter league used to love that. Um, I, li I, I like I like golf to be competitive. I've never been a guy who just turns up at the course on his own and just goes around for a knot. I've never really settled in to social golf. There has to be something. There has to be something on the line for me. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be like I'm not talking about like keys to my car and all that sort of stuff it just has to be a couple has to be something competitive about it and, and that and i do like that in the winter it would be so easy to just say ah oh, we'll just come back but i do like a good i do like a good old stable for tom <laughs> in the winter even though i write about changing the format in Stableford, i still want to change the format um, but i do like a good i do like a good winter competition whether it's a pro shop comp or whether it's a pairs comp or whether it's like a turkey trot um have got involved in winter leagues they just keep you going don't they yeah 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 and without getting into whs like like being able to have a, a competitive round without worrying about your handicap is really good because 
that's I don't know, that's the same in every other sport. If I go for a run and my run's a bit crap, it doesn't matter. I've still done my run. I've still felt like it's I'm measuring myself against myself. And but it's not like I'm now marked down as being a worse runner because I had a bad day. Um, so I think the kind of that is sort of liberating non-qualifying rounds. Um, whether they're a thing of the past or not, I don't know. But that is a big thing about winter golf in days gone by. Um, we uh, the thing I'm sort of bursting to talk about is two things. So we play our Woodley. Our winter thing is a winter foursomes, uh, and it's foursomes golf is just brilliant. I think um, we don't have a summer. Uh, foursomes at Old Woodley, which I really don't know why. We have this thing called the Easter foursomes where you play a Stableford qualifier um, as a foursome. And then, I mean, this is like really like old school. So you put on Easter Friday, you play uh, you play your Stableford qualifier and then the top eight teams qualify for the match play, which takes place on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon and Sunday of Easter weekend. So you can imagine how, that, how well that goes down. Me and my mate won the qualifier the other year. I didn't realise just how it worked. And then the pro rings up and goes, right, you're playing tomorrow at eight o'clock. And I was like, so I'm doing what? <laughs> Done my golf for Easter weekend. No, no, it goes on the weekend. It's like, right. I think they have now tweaked it to make it slightly more fit for purpose. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's how it works. But anyway, the, the winter comp at Woodley is also foursomes. And it's just brilliant. Like, again, like pace of play, like different format golf for golf's sake it's it's like proper and then the golf club i drew up grew up at um it's a place called louth in lincolnshire which is a parkland on clay so you can imagine and it's hilly so you can imagine what that's like in winter um, but we used to have a winter league which was um uh four ball better ball um and it the, the club was like seven or eight hundred members and lots and lots and lots of people playing um a lot of golf and the winter league was like incredibly well um, supported. So you were in kind of um, World Cup style groups of four or five pairs um, who played played each other in a round robin, and then you went through to a knockout stage. And it was just amazing. So my my regular uh, winter league partner was a, guy, a lad called Jim Guys, who was sort of three or four years older than me. I'd have been sort of 14, 15 during this era. And he was like the sort of alpha male, like he had a car, he had a job, uh, he could hit the ball miles. Um, he was like a three or four handicapper, but was like proper sort of ball strike. He was like everyone's hero. Anyway, he was also a massive drinker, as we all were at that time. Uh, and then there were like various rules that sort of softened rules to sort of accommodate people's boozing, basically. So you could have a sub. Um, so that was allowed. So if your partner couldn't make it for whatever reason, you could sub someone in. So you'd often be on a uh, on a Saturday on a Sunday morning. You'd be ringing round people saying so and so can't get out of bed. Can you come and play winter league with me? And you would start one down if you'd sub someone in, um, which I thought was pretty good. Um, because it was better ball, you could obviously play on your own for a bit. So if your partner hadn't turned up because they had a hangover, they could join you when they'd managed to crawl out of bed. Uh, and the way that um, our golf clubs worked was there was a place to park your car somewhere near the 12th tee. And I played more than once trying to keep the match going until Jim arrived on the 12th tee to come and save the day. Um, so that that winter league was just absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing thing. I can still remember the um, the sort of handwritten um, where you wrote your scores up in the clubhouse. It was like a great big document and you wrote in your scores and it was all filled out at the end of the year, basically like a World Cup wall chart. 
Um, so I just think that, and then you'd get in, you'd have your chips and cheese, and it'd be midday on Sunday, and it, it, that was that was your sort of day, and you'd be back to your pints of Bass Bitter or whatever it was that we used to drink, Theakston's actually. Um, it was just proper, like proper golf club stuff. Um, and you come, you, the sort of warmth of the clubhouse is something you can still basically kind of feel and smell now. It's like really, really, really good times. I've talked about Cleveland a lot today. Um, I might have to rejoin. Uh, Cleveland, um, I, I, I'm sure they still do this. It's I, I mentioned Cleveland because it's the, just the best named winter competition I've ever heard, and they called it Top Dog. It's absolutely fantastic, Top Dog, and it's like a four ball better ball stable for that then went into a final phase match play. Um, so like you 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 put your you put your best um, four ball scores in, and then the sixteen teams would basically battle down to the death in a match play to find the club's winter top dog. Is a better name for a winter competition than top dog? Very cool. Well, Turkey Trot's not a bad one. I'm going to have to rejoin, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> going, to be, going to be ringing them up after when we put the phone down. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that is it is a proper golf club as well, isn't it? Like a proper golf club. Um, do you play golf on Christmas Day? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I don't have any strong feelings about people who do. People get very excited about this. I mean, like if you're... Um, if your Christmas box included a fair amount of golf stuff, for example, you like why is it then unreasonable to get straight out on the course and try said stuff out? Um, I don't mind people who do. I don't because I have a seven-year-old child for whom Christmas is a very exciting thing. And I think if I then disappeared for 90 minutes or two hours to sneak round nine holes, um, Christmas might not be as fun for me on my return as it otherwise might be. Always um, covetous of covetous of like golfing families, or um, yeah. you get the same thing with people like families who support the same football team, don't you? Where they all tropes off to Boxing Day football matches. I always felt that I was kind of spoiling Christmas for everyone because I always wanted to go horse racing with my mates on Boxing Day or go and play golf with my mates on Boxing Day. So I think now I'm a dad, I think I'm going to try and turn us into a golfing family where it's more than acceptable to sod off and play golf um, on a on a uh, public holiday. Um, Are all Woodley Towers open on Christmas Day? I don't know, it's a great question. I was thinking this when the Queen died, um, God bless her, etc. Um, like, and we all, there was, there was some... Um, we had some customers who were going to play golf in Scotland and the golf course is shut and said, sorry, they can't come because we're closed because of the Queen's funeral. But that is very strange, isn't it? Because on Christmas Day, you can still go and play golf, can't you? I mean, the clubhouse might be closed, but the golf course is still open, isn't it, in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would think that the, there'd be nobody there, but you can obviously go and play if you want. Scale offence. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not advocating trespassing people. Make yeah. it many times joke. So I think winter comps are sort of all part of the the where we started with this is that they're all sort of part of a, a loving for winter golf full stop. Um, and then we've also got winter rules to round off with, haven't we? Um, so we've done quite a bit of this on uh, nationalclubgolfer.com. You can watch Hannah Holden's video on YouTube about six winter um, rules they all break. There's one uh, thing that we wanted to discuss particularly today, which is to do with... Um, preferred lies so another massively advantageous thing about um 
winter is that we get to clean our golf ball, pick and place our golf ball. Um, so we've got a uh, a question that you were sent um, from a reader. Once again, we don't know who or where they play or any of their background, so it's very difficult to know put any context around this, but hey-ho. Uh, anyway, this particular person wants to know whether you must mark the spot before you pick up your ball, golf ball to uh, clean and place it. No, is the answer. Um, not since the, not since the new rules arrived in 2019. So uh, when you use preferred lies, you're using normally a model local rule. Um, for those of you who want to have a look at it, it's called E3 currently. Um, there is a there is another similar local rule for which this is different, but I'll get onto it in a second. But the one most of your clubs will use for preferred lies is model local rule E3. Um, and no, you don't have to mark your ball first before you lift under preferred lies relief, which surprises quite a lot of people um, because they think if you look at rule 14, it says, you know, if you're if you're uh, if you're the spot of a ball to be lifted and replaced must be marked. Rule 14.18 says that specifically, but that rule applies to when you're lifting a ball under a rule that requires that ball to be replaced on its original spot which isn't the case if you think about preferred lies relief. So preferred lies relief, yes, you're, you're lifting a ball, but that spot where you're replacing it is can be anything up to six inches, or depending where your club is. It can even be up to a club length from the initial reference point. So you don't have to replace the ball on its original spot. And because you don't have to replace that ball in the original spot, and because you're lifting to take relief under a, under a rule, Rule 14.1a says you are not required to mark the spot before lifting it. Now, just because you don't have to mark the spot of the ball, should you do it? Yes. Uh, and the reason for this is it's just good husbandry. It's good practice. Um, and if you get a playing partner who um, doesn't like what you're doing, and challenges you on where you're taking relief. If you haven't marked that spot, how can you be sure whether you've taken relief in the correct, say, six inch relief area or not? Um, if that ball isn't in that area and then you make a stroke, you've played the ball from a wrong place. Um, I talked earlier on about a slightly different local rule, which is E2, model local rule E2, and that is for lifting and replacing in things like wet ground conditions where mud can stick to a ball. Now in that local rule it specifically and explicitly says that you've got to mark the spot before lifting and that's because if you think about that rule where are you putting the ball back? Putting the ball back on its original spot. Um, yeah, so no, you do not have to mark your ball first when taking preferred lies relief, but it's probably better if you do. Reason I bring this up is, and I've seen a few examples of this. I've seen I've seen an example of it again this week, where someone's contacted me and clubs put out local rules that say you must mark your ball when taking preferred lies relief, or it's a one-stroke penalty. It isn't, not under the rules, basically. Right, um, and the, but the distance with which you um, place it from its original spot is a local rule, is it? Whether it's six inches or a club length or whatever. Yeah, it's it's in it's it's almost always six inches. I yeah, can't yeah. think of anywhere else who does. Who can't think. Maybe listeners can tell me, but I can't think of anyone else that does more than that. But it's almost always six inches. And can you go? Is it? What about? Do you have to be further away from the hole? Can you go nearer the hole? Well, you can't go nearer, closer than your reference point, because that would be closer to the hole, wouldn't it? You can't do that, right? 
Um, so I think that is that is will, will be a shock to most people. Like you say, it's sort of pretty misunderstood. I've always thought you had to mark it with a TPEG or whatever. Um, but practice. I guess by by marking it, you are removing the risk of accusations of it being nearer when you put it down, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, what the reason I'm talking about is this is that there is a, there, there can be a circumstance where a player inadvertently fails to mark it for whatever reason. They just you know they just have brain freeze, pick it up replace it within their six inches, it's all fine. But they think they're getting a one stroke penalty because they haven't marked the spot first. Well, actually, the, the preferred lie rule doesn't doesn't say that you have to mark the ball. So to, two other questions on this then. Can I uh, just swap the ball? Yeah, you yeah. can. You've been reading my rules column, haven't you? Uh, you can. I, I, I had a very, I had a very uh, interesting conversation with a number of readers about this when I put this piece out the first time. So, model local rule E three. I'm I'm just you can can you hear my rule book turning? Um, yeah. It's just I just want to make sure. Um, says that you can take relief once by placing the original ball or another ball in and playing it from the relief area. So I want you to think about what that could possibly mean. If your club doesn't have a one ball rule, right? So you can yeah. use any sort of ball that you want. What if you have a distance ball off the tee? Yeah, you swap it. Hit it onto the fairway because obviously you have to hit it into. The, it's normally preferred lies normally in the fairway. You hit it onto the fairway and then you change your ball for a high spin ball, for example, to then hit it onto the green. That's perfectly fine. That is that is allowed. The rule says by placing the original ball or another ball. So each time you take relief under E3, you could essentially use a different ball. A marginal gain that would be appealing to some. My other question um, is, can you can you sort of flick the ball into a better lie with your club? No. No? No, you cannot. Uh, and I wrote, you're, you're, this is brilliant because you're, we'll have to put these in the show notes because you're like, you're, you're going through all of my re recent columns. No, you can't. Um, you have to replace your ball properly. You can't use a club head with which to do it. You right. can't roll. You can't roll it into position um, with a club head. Fair enough. You have to set it down and let it go. Right. Strange thing, isn't it? Because uh, like being able to swap your ball is definitely an advantage, but how you move your ball into preferred line you're gaining no advantage so it's a funny funny thing yes yeah, so anyway. I'm, I'm sorry i'm just going to explain this a bit further to people i'm just going to tell people where this is so you can you can find the answer to tom's question in the definitions of the rules and under replace and there's an interpretation if you, you, you can find this on the app if you haven't got the big official guide to the rules of golf but it is on the is on the rna's app and there's an interpretation to that rule which says ball may not be replaced with a club it says for a ball to be replaced in the right way, it must be set down and let go. This means the player must use his or her hand to put the ball back in play on the spot it was lifted or moved from. And it gives a specific example where it says uh, the player must not replace the ball by rolling it to the required spot with a club. If they do so, ball's not replaced in the right way and they'd get a penalty stroke. So don't do it. It's a really important point you raise here because I see this happen all the time, you know, especially with golfers of a certain vintage, if I can say this, you know, that don't necessarily or have trouble they bending don't bend down. down. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. they just roll the ball into position with their club and they can't, they can't do it. They'll get a stroke penalty for it if they get a seat. Interesting thing that I think I would definitely do it. Um, 
you stop stops getting your hands wet and stuff like that. Anyway, um, that was really good. I was sort of quite kind of enthused to go and play winter golf. It's a beautiful day here as well. It's like a proper winter golf day. Um, so I think there's a few like there's a few prompts, isn't there, to go and look at stuff like. Last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we recorded a podcast about uh, two years of WHS, um, which is this week. So it's two years since uh, the World Handicapping System came in. Um, so I, we've got a pod on that, which I would recommend you go and listen to, um, talk where we discuss the sort of foibles and the, the implementation of that of that particular scheme. Um, uh, and we've got, yeah, we've got now got a weekly kind of deep dive into club golf issues. Um, so we'd invite you all to subscribe to our channels on Apple or Android or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can listen to it on Alexa. I did that the other day. It's pretty exciting. Alexa, play the National Club Golfer podcast. And on it came. Ooh. Yeah. Um, uh, and our colleagues, so George and Alex, um, record something called The Slam on a Monday morning, which is kind of a wrap-up of all the a debate about the tour issues with Penny of Live Golf discussion, as I'm sure you can imagine. And Hannah uh, and Jack, our equipment experts, um, have a pod called All the Gear, where they talk in very nerdy detail about kit, how to get better at golf. Um, and we've got a little internal, little bit of internal competition about who's getting the most listens. So from the clubhouse is definitely the one that you should be prioritising week in, week out. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Steve. That was good. Cheers, Tom. See you next week. Yeah. Bye.